Brick Moon Fiction presents Melody's End by Joshua Safley, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. To my human audience, I must emphasize one idea from the start. A man or woman may enjoy singing, but they will eventually tire. A fay will not. A fay can stop their song no more than a human can stop their breath. They are the mortal residents of the central world, the same realm from which the messengers proclaim their voice through which all the earths are sustained. It is only natural their harmony should result in life of its own. These are the fay, also called the song folk, creatures whose essence is found in rhythm and patterns. All this is important for two reasons. Firstly, when a fay's song ends, they perish. It is the same as when a man's inner fire fizzles away. Secondly, a fay's tie to the central world is his or her song. So if one's song were to deviate significantly from the realm's harmony, if one were to become discordant, that individual would cease to be a part of the world. The discordant twist into all manner of aberrant forms and then vanish. But to where? The fay know not. By the accounts of the very few returned, it is a horrid place, a land of ugly and bizarre beasts, a land where the elements conspire against life, a land utterly devoid of magic and music. One fay went by the name of Seltorus Adius, and he was dying. At two hundred years of age he was elderly, but he was not so old one would expect his life to pass. The fact is, he was injured. The Fae make war as all peoples do, even in the presence of the messengers who sing odes to peace. Perhaps their conflicts are more brutal for it. In any case, Seltorus was a soldier in one such war of his younger years, and he paid dearly for his participation. His soul-song beat like marching boots and cried like the anthem of his company. He rushed into battle with all the passion of one fully given to the cause. He never failed to protect his fellows and stood out as an exemplar of bravery. Unfortunately, this made him a prime target. Determination chanted in the hearts of the enemy as well. Seltorus left the wars heavily decorated, but also bearing innumerable wounds. He had fought off more soldiers than anyone else in the company. Most of his bones had been broken, his face and back were scarred, and his left wing was torn. Worst of all, Glassfire shrapnel had lodged itself in the irretrievably deep crevices of his body. None of these had caused any real trouble for the past century, though Seltorus missed flying terribly. However, the glassfire in his chest had begun to burn, growing more intense with each passing day. Seltorus's limbs grew weak. He was always tired. He could feel himself slipping away. He needed no healer to tell him his inner fire was reduced to mere embers, and even that would soon extinguish. No longer could Seltorus make a great melody. Some days his song was reduced to a mere hum, but he still took the time to sit out in his yard. Here he would meditate and proclaim the little wonders of the world. Even his feeble warbling caused flowers to open, bees to buzz, soil to churn with the overjoyed wriggles of happy worms, and sunlit leaves to glow with an unworldly vibrance. These minor miracles were nothing compared to the power he held in youth, but they were enough to bring him happiness. However, there was something that could steal his happiness. One evening Seltorus sat cross-legged in his garden as he always did. 
He was entranced by the beauty of life, enraptured by the flow of nature, and it swelled with his melodies. Knowing his own life would soon join this flow, Seltorus was nearly brought to tears. However, something suddenly infected the moment, shattering it like glass. The growth of plants screeched to a halt, their stems twisted into unsightly tangles of sharp corners, some to the point of tearing. Flowers wilted. Insects took wing at random and fell. Truly ugly symbols dug themselves in the dirt and even tree bark. As tightly wound as Seltorus was with his garden, the invader had to infect him as well. Gasping as he clutched at his chest, Seltorus's eyes sprang open. He was shocked for them to focus on a benign-looking middle-aged male fay and a beaming young female. Grandpa! the young one exclaimed, for the fay can speak and sing at once. She tackled Seltorus in a bear hug. He was astonished, but he returned the embrace even as he commanded his body to ignore the pain that flared in his chest. The girl flitted away and grinned at the old man. I'm going to go and put my things away, all right, Grandpa? she said. The young female skipped away without waiting for a reply, and all the strange phenomena retreated with her. Color returned to flowers' petals, the corners in their stems smoothed, the insects returned to their normal selves, and the symbols in the dirt wore away. Seltorus stared. The middle-aged male chuckled and offered Seltorus a hand. He took it numbly. "'How are you doing, old-timer?' the male asked. Sorry to scare you. I have no idea how we got here so early. Hello, Abbas, Seltorus said. He still watched where the girl had left. It seems I'm not doing as well as I thought. Yeah, she's grown a bit, said Sel Abbas. What's it been, fifteen years? Can you believe she'll be fifty in a couple months? I'm telling you, it's difficult for me to see my baby girl as a grown adult. I know you are probably rolling your eyes. You've been through this before, but it's all new to me. Seltorus scratched the side of his face. When did she change color? he asked. Hm? said Sel Abbas. Oh, yeah, it's been a while. She used to have tabby stripes like me, mused Seltorus. Well, I wouldn't take it personal. All the kids have clashing tones these days, Sel Abbas said. Seltorus humphed and turned to the botanical carnage at his feet. Sorry about that, said Sel Abbas. Setmek is not very good with living things. A fay not good with life? Seltorus demanded. Sel Abbas shrugged. Nobody her age is. Don't worry, they'll grow into it. As you said, they're fay. Seltorus wiped his brow. It did not matter what Sel Abbas said, the seed of worry was already deep rooted in his heart. Upon returning to the little wooden house Seltorus called home, he found his granddaughter easy to track. The ordinary spiral pattern adorning the sand floor had been overlaid with a trail of those strange angles and ugly symbols. These telltale signs led to the hall and back out, where Selasetmek watched him, grinning ear to ear. His heart melted to see her smile. "'Want to play a game, Grandpa?' she asked. Seltorus truly did, for he had missed his granddaughter these fifteen years, but he had told her no and that she should play with her father. He needed to make dinner for them. Sel Abbas was more than willing to play, so Selasetmek grabbed a board and they sat in the sand. Seltorus wandered to his stove. He watched them play, but his eyes were on the sand. 
The markings surrounding Cell Abbas were not spirals. In fact, they were straight lines, but they branched and grew. Not to mention the spacing between them seemed to come in a pattern. It was a clever riddle, a rhythm of its own. In contrast, Selacetmec's shapes were anything but harmonious. They crowded her and overlapped one another. They came in no particular order, and they made no larger whole. The ground around the girl became little more than a mess. There was also a disturbance in how they colored themselves. Cell Abbas had fewer colors than Cell Taurus, but they were just as vibrant. If Cell Taurus was being honest with himself, they were more so. The only real difference between them was that Cell Taurus's colors recalled woodsy clearings and Cell Abbas's the meadow. On the other hand, Cella Setmec displayed neon blotches of green, yellow, and red against a black backdrop. Her colors reminded Cell Taurus of nothing in particular. They were just garish. The grandfather's song played low. Cell Taurus prepared bread, three slices of fish, and a bowl of seed. He laid out the food, and the family of three took their places around his table. Cell Taurus asked Cell Abbas to lead the prayer. Unbeknownst to the middle-aged fay, grandfather and granddaughter watched each other with squinted, smirking eyes as he gave thanks. It was an old ritual of theirs, a bit of a running gag. The prayer concluded, and Cell Abbas handed a piece of bread and a slice of fish to each fay. Even as an elder, wartime habits died hard with Cell Taurus, so his food was gone in no time at all. Then he swallowed a single scoop of seed, and he was ready. He sang a song of growth. After only a moment, he could feel the life of the seeds and the energy of all his food flow into him and rejuvenate his form. Seltorus sighed in relief. He was still weak, but he felt less so. Vitality returned to him, his heart beat faster, and even the throb around his glass-fire wound became more bearable. Seltorus noticed Selesetmek pulling twigs from the pile of seed. Oh, ah, uh, Setmek, you aren't supposed to eat that, he said. That's not food, it's just debris, an unavoidable consequence of the gathering process. Sela Setmek looked up at her grandfather. At this point, she already had a small pile. Really? she said. I think they're the best part. She tossed the twigs into her mouth, and her soul song changed into a chant of burning. The black parts of her darkened like coal, and her neon splotches lit like lamps. She grinned proudly as smoke poured forth, and her grandfather gaped in shock. Sel Abbas took note of this reaction and frowned at his daughter. Sela Setmek smiled apologetically, taking some seeds and singing her own song of growth. Even so, it was too staccato for Sel Taurus to feel comfortable. To him it was just noise. It was then that Sel Taurus decided he had to do something. He woke Selesetmek early the next morning and asked her to meditate with him in the garden. She was groggy, but she agreed. Truth be told, Seltorus was tired too, but he would not let her see that. She did not need to worry. Seltorus patted the ground beside him, and Selesetmek sat. She blinked sleepily. He took a dead flower in his fingers and tapped her arm. Watch this, he said. Seltorus sang with vigor that was only half faked. It was certainly real enough for the flower as it bloomed in his hand, decapitated though it was. Its stem even regrew when set on the ground. 
Seltorus grinned at Selesetmek. She seemed confused, so he handed her a flower of her own. Try it yourself, he said. Selesetmek took the flower, but her eyebrows arched with doubt. It seemed to desiccate in her hands even as she quieted her song. She looked to her grandfather. Go on, he encouraged her. She sang, but the petals crackled into ash. Seltorus had to fight to keep himself from clamping his hands over his ears. He smiled to reassure Selesetmek, but she looked sad. Try again, Seltorus said, handing her a second flower. Selesetmek was skeptical, but she sang to the flower more softly this time. Seltorus saw the angles in the dirt smooth. The flower in Selesetmek's hand twitched. It grew, albeit in a strange shape. Amazement in her eyes, Selesetmek beamed at her grandfather. However, she must have hit a wrong note as she did so, for thorns burst to life and snagged her fingers. She cried out in alarm, her song abruptly changed, and the flower caught fire. Its smoldering remains crumbled as they hit the ground. I'm so sorry, Grandpa, she exclaimed. I'm just not used to this. Let me show you how I sing. But Seltorus raised a hand. He knew what she needed. He struggled to his feet. Do you need help, Grandpa? asked Selesetmek. No, dear, Seltorus replied, though he ached for her assistance. As Seltorus rose to his full height, he breathed in deeply, banishing the pain in his chest to the back of his mind. Selesetmek joined him with a single flap of her large wings. Well, aren't you something? Seltorus said. Selesetmek shrugged, smirking. Get ready. Seltorus said, and he began a song. He started low and slow, but his music rose both in pitch and frequency, with the foliage seemingly rising with it. He began a second melody that intertwined with the first, and shiny beetles could be seen climbing grass stalks. With the third, sparrows lighted in the trees to watch. They came down, flying in circles around Seltorus as he incorporated thrills and warbles in his song. They flew in tighter and tighter. Seltorus's song came to a crescendo. He was giddy. He spun to Selesetmek. And she looked confused. I don't get it, she said, tapping her ear. It just doesn't sound like music to me. Seltorus ground his teeth. He held out a hand to which a beetle buzzed, and he thrust the little creature into Selesetmek's hold. Grandpa, no! she cried. This is the push you need, he insisted. His song was higher, louder, and unpleasant. He forced her fingers to close over the insect. I can't, Selesetmek exclaimed. You can. Grandpa! There was a sudden pop, and Selesetmek screamed. She dropped the bug. Seltora saw it had burst like a grape. Shocked, he released Selesetmek, and she fell. She wiped her hands on the grass repeatedly. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, she kept saying. I didn't mean to do that. Seltorus glared at the pile of goo by their feet. Nothing had been fixed. If anything, Selesetmek's song was more chaotic. His own became low and quiet. I know how to take care of this, he said. 
he marched directly to the house to tell her father. He found Sel Abbas waiting at the table. Why did you do that? Sel Abbas asked. Sel Taurus ignored him and said, I'm taking Setmek to the forest. Why? Why? You saw what just happened, Sel Taurus exclaimed. Yes, you forced my daughter into a situation she neither wanted nor was prepared for, said Sel Abbas. His tone was cool, his tune menacing. His eyes were unblinking, locked on Sel Taurus. The elder stepped closer. Don't play this game with me, he warned. My granddaughter is sick, and you haven't done anything to help her. Sick? What are you talking about? Sel Abbas demanded. I will not lose someone else to discordance, Sel Taurus roared. Sel Abbas was taken aback. How dare! I raised her. I have every right to talk about what happened to my daughter, Sel Taurus said. Sel Abbas shook his head. You weren't there. Setmek isn't acting anything like her mother in those days. Two different fae don't need to have the exact same symptoms to both be sick, Sel Taurus said. He turned to leave. I'm taking her to the forest. Fine, said Sel Abbas, but only because it gives you time to tell Setmek about your failing health. What? Your glass-fire wound in particular, old-timer, said Sel Abbas. Sel Taurus was dumbfounded. How do you know about that? he asked. I have people check up on you from time to time, Sel Abbas said, crossing his arms. You're not as difficult to read as you think. But Setmek doesn't know, asked Sel Taurus. Sel Abbas shrugged. She's young. I didn't want for her to hear it from me. But mark my words, if you don't tell her, I will. Seltorus stared at his son-in-law. Fine, he said, and he left. Wide-eyed, Sela Setmek waited for him in the garden. I heard shouting, she said. Seltorus grunted. We came to an understanding, he said. Come with me. The great forest was an enormous nature sanctuary, at whose center once sang the messenger Elipides. The area still seemed to pulse with life, overflowing with plants and animals, and the trees there grew to gigantic heights. The forest was a good distance away, so Selasetmek's first instinct was to unfurl her wings. Seltorus only had to open his own to remind her why that would not work. The two took to the open road, heading for the river docks. The paths were crowded, and they passed every kind of fay imaginable. Some were long and thin as vines, and some were round like stones. The younger ones blurted ugly drivel, not unlike Selasetmek's song. Seltorus scowled at these bad influences. The two found a transport gondola and told the Roman to take them to the forest. Selasetmek was uncharacteristically quiet, but that was fine. Seltorus did not really feel like speaking. He noted how all the fish clustered near the gondolier and himself, but avoided Sela Setmek. It took nearly an hour to reach the forest and find a point suitably deep for Seltorus's liking. They clambered up the muddy bank, surrounded by skyscraping tree trunks. Seltorus paid the gondolier, who told them when and where they could find a return ride. When he left, Seltorus and Sela Setmek were the only fay in sight. Humming nervously, Selasetmek wrapped her arms around herself and looked around. "'What exactly are we here for?' she asked. "'Look at the trees,' said Seltorus. 
Alifides' song still resonates here, so it's the perfect place for inspiration. We will sing until the music of the forest soaks into your soul. Selasetmek looked skeptical. I appreciate what you're trying to do, Grandpa, and I respect people who can tap into nature. I really do, she said. But it's just not me. This isn't going to work. Yes, it will, Seltorus insisted. Let me sing for you, said Selasetmek. I would love to hear it, but you don't sing, Seltorus snapped. Hand to her chest, Selasetmek stepped away. What? Seltorus said. The sounds you make are discordant. Oh, said Selasetmek. She looked at the ground. Selasetmek backed away, uphill, and when Seltorus called for her, she turned aside. She seemed dazed rather than rebellious. Her eyes were glazed. She wandered to one of the giant trees to feel its bark, but recoiled at the touch. She sat among the roots, facing Seltorus, but not looking. You're wasting time, he yelled. Seltorus crawled up the embankment to get her, but he slipped in the mud. He felt a sharp pain in his knee before it, too, slipped. He fell in the muck with a wet splat. Selasetmek did not react, and Seltorus was forced to stay where he lay, catching his breath. Selasetmek eventually spoke. I do sing. My songs are about the way it feels to wait for thunder after lightning and the weightlessness of falling, and the moment you slip to sleep. I sing to the tune of sparking flames and bubbling drinks and groaning archways. I thought you could hear these too. Seltorus did not know how to respond. There came a great cracking sound down river, which was followed by sloshing. Seltorus rolled his head through the mud to see. From the cover of the trees came a monstrosity, its head held eight feet above the river in which it waded. Half a gondolin was dragged behind it the way a child drags a toy animal. The monster saw Seltorus, and its pace quickened. Seltorus scrabbled desperately at the mud, but he was stuck. Looking up, he realized Selasetmek could not see the danger. In a voice he had not used since his war days, Seltorus roared, Run! The aberration was upon Seltorus in seconds. Lanky arms lifted the old fay in webbed claws, he caught a glimpse of the gondolin wreckage floating away before finding himself held face to face with the beast. It was gray-skinned, almost blue, with pupilless white eyes reminiscent of the moon. A proboscis extended from its face and ended in a toothy muzzle. The giant inspected its prize. Do you like water? it asked. Taken aback, Seltorus answered yes. I love water the monster said, wheezing and sighing. I could listen to its burbling all day. Nothing's better than that. The monster's eyes closed, and it raised a hand to its ear. It shivered. The only good music, it said, comes from water. Lakes, oceans, rivers, puddles. We need water. It sustains life. Even canyons are carved by water. Seltorus did not respond. The monster's eyes opened. Hey, 
Did you say you liked water? it asked. I did, said Seltorus, but the monster's eyes narrowed skeptically. You don't seem enthusiastic, it said. The river is right here. Seltorus replied, The river is great. The forest is great. The monster nodded. Yes, the river is great. The beast took a moment. It seemed to be thinking, I would spend all day in the river's embrace, it said. Then the monster plunged Seltorus beneath the surface. Seltorus beat his fists against the beast, but its grip only tightened. The air was squeezed from Seltorus's lungs. He felt dizzy. The only thing keeping him conscious was the searing pain the glass fire brought him with each beat of his heart. There was a burst of light from above. The monster roared, and Seltorus was suddenly able to breathe again. He gasped for air. He did not have a moment to rest or catch his bearings as he was flung aside, and he soared as he had not in a century. His wings beat instinctively, but to no effect. Seltorus slammed against the base of a tree. Seltorus saw white, and his ears rang, but he fought to regain his senses. The first thing he felt was pain. It seemed as if the glass fire had spread through his every vein. Secondly, he realized he lay in something wet, warm, and sticky. He did not need a healer to tell him what. However, these trivialities were pushed aside when Seltorus's vision returned. Everything was blurry at first, but he saw his granddaughter in grave danger. He could make out the silhouette of the monster wrapped in a funnel of flame. Selasetmek was singing, and the water around her feet vibrated wildly, as if boiling. It did not let her sink. Something changed in Selasetmek's tune, and the fire disappeared. The monster grinned triumphantly for one second before lightning arced in streams along its body. It yowled in pain. Selasetmek turned to her grandfather and ran. Her wings unfurled. She took to the air like a great heron. She closed the distance. Her arms hooked beneath his, and for a moment they were airborne. However, a webbed hand slung forth and nabbed the retreating fay. Something from his war days returned, and Seltorus snapped the monster's thumb. It yowled again, dropping its prey, and they fell by the river's edge. Water swirled around Seltorus's feet, and he realized he could not move them. Seltorus would never know how what happened next came to transpire. He did not ask Selasetmek to sing, nor she he. Like the flapping of his tattered wings, it seemed to happen without decision. The only thing Seltorus knew about the song is that it happened now, when he turned to see his granddaughter. He found her already watching him. Her chin was scraped. He first heard the song coming from Selasetmek, but it rose within himself in the same instant. The monster shrieked and thrashed in the water. They paid it no mind. They watched each other and listened. Seltorus heard the idea of the forest, what nature felt like in his voice, from Selasetmek. He learned about all the energy in the air and all the stresses in the structures that surrounded them. These sounds molded 
mixed until Seltorus's world was revivified with renewed life. It just was not life as he had always imagined. He could see the same process in Selesetmek's eyes. The song swelled from grandfather and granddaughter seemingly of its own accord. It brought them together. It rose and grew stronger. The monster lurched towards the fae, crying, You can both drown! A wall of flame lit, bowling the monster over. From the embankment, roots reached forth like ghastly hands beyond the grave. They ensnared the monster, held it back even as it struggled. A great wind howled about, rushing in circles like the sparrows of the morning. The whole atmosphere seemed alight with a crackling force. Then, Selesetmek stood. She shouted to the thing, Go away! The monster shuddered as though pierced through the heart. It became blurred. It was like a ghost. For a moment, the monster snapped back in focus and opened its mouth, as if to express regret. But it faded into nothing saying nothing. The flames and wind vanished. All was quiet again. Selesetmek collapsed in the mud. I'm not one of those things, she said. No, said Seltorus. After a pause, I'm sorry about today. Selesetmek smiled. I know you just wanted to protect me. That's all I ever wanted, really, Seltorus admitted, chuckling. The pain flared in Seltorus's chest. He saw the mud around him stained red. Setmek, he said, I'm dying. I was already dying, but now... Selesetmek nodded. In a quiet voice, she said, I figured... Seltorus did not say anything at first, but he could feel the strength leaving him, and he knew this was his last chance. He managed to place his hand over his granddaughter's. He asked, Can you sing for me? So Selesetmek sang again, but not to change the world around her. She sang of the things she had learned in Seltorus's music, the things she had learned from him, and he listened until his own soul was gone. Like the end of any great song, it was Seltorus's silence that resonated the loudest. Joshua Safley is a writer, math educator, and general questioner. He has been creating stories since he was a small child, mostly about magic or animals, especially dinosaurs. He received his B.S. and M.A. in mathematics at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and though many might suppose this analytical training would stunt the imagination, it has only encouraged him to pursue the connections between all things in his writing. He lives in Clemens, North Carolina, and still watches cartoons when he can. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.